Welcome to Ikigai Stories. I'm Sam Yushio. The goal of this podcast is to showcase people who are living with intention, working hard to align actions with priorities, and ultimately to provide a platform of inspiration for those seeking to live a life rooted in purpose. In this episode, we hear from Eric Silverstein, the founder and CEO of Peached Tortilla. Peach Tortilla is a hospitality business in Austin, Texas, that includes three restaurants, a catering company, two food trucks, and a cookbook slash memoir being published in May. Although Peached is now a $10 million business with over 100 employees, there was a time when Eric made $200 in a single day while working a double shift. Now, the New York Times calls Peach Tortilla one of five places to visit in Austin. Now, that's pretty impressive. Even more impressive is the path that Eric took to get to this point. Eric was making $100,000 a year at 24 years old as a lawyer, but his heart wasn't in it. He dreaded Sunday nights because it meant that he had the entire week starting the next day on Monday. Eventually, he left law to open a food truck where he wouldn't take a paycheck for two years. And he almost called it quits, but pushed on, eventually gained traction, and is now on an incredible trajectory of success. This episode was recorded with a live audience during an Ikigai workshop in Austin. Workshop participants had an opportunity to hear Eric's inspiring story while eating his delicious food for a full sensory Ikigai experience. Then we fielded some Q&A from the group, which you'll hear in the episode. A quick insider's view on Eric. While I was facilitating the workshop, Eric showed up by himself with all the food and all the equipment for a full buffet lunch. Uh, The workshop was up a flight of at least 25 to 30 very steep stairs, and he carried everything up the stairs by himself, then set the entire buffet up by himself. And you don't see a lot of CEOs of $10 million companies hustling at that level. What's even more remarkable is that he had staff from his restaurants participating in the workshop, working on their own personal ikigai, and he left them alone and did all this by himself. Uh, We talk about this briefly during our conversation, but I continue to come back to his actions that day and how they represent the very definition of leadership and integrity. They're not just buzzwords with Eric. He walks a walk. Uh, Eric's book, The Peach Tortilla, Modern Asian Comfort Food from Tokyo to Texas, is being published on May 7th. Please check out his restaurants while in Austin, and please check out the book when it's available on May 7th, and enjoy Ikigai Stories, episode number four, with Eric Silverstein, founder and CEO of Peach Tortilla. Uh, Can you talk about Peach Tortilla to start off with? uh, What is Peach Tortilla? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, now Peach Tortilla is really a a hospitality company. Um, We started off as a single food truck that I had initially leased from... uh, a commissary up in Pflugerville, uh, which is north of Austin, uh, and it's just uh, grown from that. Um, so we're now, uh, we have three restaurants within our kind of network, um, an event space, and a full-service catering company, and then, uh, you know, we still have our two food trucks, and we, we primarily serve Asian-inspired uh, comfort food. Okay. Yeah. 
And uh, so what's the what's what's behind the food? Like what's what's the journey behind Asian inspired food? Well, I mean, we cook food that uh, really is uh, representative of kind of my background. Um, I, I was born and raised in Tokyo. Um, and so I lived 11 years in Japan. Um, I'm not Japanese. It just so happened that my dad had a job overseas. Um, so I kind of inherited a lot of Asian influence in terms of food appreciation, food knowledge. Um, I adopted a lot of Japanese culture when I was young, even though I didn't really know I was doing that. Um, food is a really important part of Japanese culture. Eating with eating dinner with your family, the fa family unit. Um, you know, everyone sleeps together in the same room on tatami mats. You know, that all that culture really um, was all I knew growing up. Um, my mother's Chinese. My, my dad's American. He's from New York. So uh, having all the, those different kind of cultural and food influences really shaped kind of the food I wanted to bring to the public in Austin. Obviously, we have tweaked it a little bit to make it a little bit more um, approachable. So what, uh, what, what were you, the years when you were in, how old were you? Were you in? Uh, I w it was, well, it was 1982 was when I was born. Uh, and I was, I moved to the States in 94. So I was there almost 12 years. Okay. So yeah. zero, you were born in? I was born in Tokyo. Okay. So zero yeah. to zero to 12. Mm -hmm. What, uh, what were some of your favorite dishes growing up in Tokyo? Yeah, no. Uh, well, in Tokyo, um, I mean, God, uh, tempura is a big one. Um, yakitori, uh, tonkatsu, um, ramen, udon, soba. Um, I actually didn't eat that much sushi when uh -huh. I was growing up in Japan, uh, which is weird because like, I feel like everyone kind of identifies Japanese food as sushi, but mm. um, there's definitely a lot more to offer. And I, yeah, those things. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, so let's talk about peach. So yeah. just um, can you talk about the journey of, mm -hmm. of let's start food truck on. Because we'll eventually come back to the story before food truck from okay. food truck. Yeah. Uh, well, food truck, you know, I, I came to Austin uh, not knowing really anybody. Um, I was at a point where I wasn't having a midlife crisis, but I was definitely having a crisis in terms of feeling... Uh, like I was really, you know, kind of boxed in and I could talk more about that later. But uh, so I came to Austin with my girlfriend, who's now my my wife. And uh, yeah, we just I opened up this one food truck. I leased a food truck from a, a Hispanic based commissary. They they didn't know what I was trying to do. You know, uh, it was like the only like non Hispanic guy in there, you know, <laughs> me and the Cilantro guy. We were like the, the two guys. And so they were like, what's up with these, you know, Asian guys? Uh, they they want to be, you know, they want to own Loncheras. Uh, and it was a real, it was a real struggle to, to get momentum in the business. Um, I remember just working, you know, very long hours. We would do a, we would do a lunch shift and a dinner shift every day. So we would do like a lunch shift at an office place do a dinner shift at like 24th and San Gabriel by UT. We go late night on 6th Street. You know, I work like 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. Pretty much like Tuesday through Thursday. And then Friday we'd work 8 a.m. to f like 5 a.m. Because we would serve um, late night crowds at Starbar to like 3 in the morning. And then I have to take the truck back to Pflugerville, which so I'd like go past my house, go all the way to Pflugerville, like clean the truck, take all the food out. 
then drive home at like 4.30, shower, and like, so it was a very difficult uh, schedule, um, and I was so focused on just trying to make enough money to get into a restaurant that I didn't really pace myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, early on, it was just really tough. Um, about two years in, I I was pretty much ready to, to call it quits. Um, I put the business for sale, and uh, I told my wife hey, this wasn't worth it, you know? It was a real low point for me in life. And... Uh, so at, at, for about two months, I was just trying to clean up the business um, and told my investors who are like a lot of my good friends that I was, I don't think I could do this anymore. You know, I'd been taking, I'd been working for two years with no paycheck, um, you know, used all my savings for my lawyer days. I was paying health insurance out of pocket and I didn't really feel like people understood the journey um, because most people don't do that. Mm-hmm. And most people have jobs. <laughs> and so it was very, I felt very alone in that sense. Yeah. Um, my dad's an entrepreneur, so he would talk to me about it. But um, he, he really was like, you need to continue. You, you know, I want you to talk to these people who have run their own businesses. But some of the people I talked to, honestly, they were like CEOs and stuff, but they had never started. You mm-hmm. know, it's different to start. It's different yeah. to do your own thing like, than be a CEO for someone else's company. So um, eventually, you know, uh, I didn't sell it, obviously. Um, uh, I'm convinced that I never really truly intended to sell it. Like, like I always wanted to see what I could do with it um, and just push forward literally inch by inch until I dug myself out of this, you know, hole, really. Uh, so to talk more about that, digging yourself out of, out of the hole. And, yeah. and what, what about this? Like you never really intentionally felt like you were going to sell, but you're signaling to your investors well, and you're kind of going mean, through the unwinding I mean, process. Like intuitively, like I was going to sell the business, but like my heart didn't want me to is what yeah. I'm trying to say. You yeah. know, like my heart was like, this is your baby. You've done this for like three years. Like, you know, cause I had been working on it a year before I got to Austin. Mm. Uh, so climbing, I mean, getting out of it, I mean, it's really just, <clears throat> I mean, it's kind of, it sounds cliche to like, you have to work hard. Um, but that's, I mean, that's the truth. Like you mm-hmm. get out what you put in, you know, like you, if you want results, like you have to work hard and it sounds like that's common knowledge, but like it is what it is. Uh, the other thing was kind of looking at the business, um, kind of objectively and trying to figure out what we were doing right and what we weren't doing right. And I've always said that the food truck model is really broken. You see a lot of food trucks and trailers around Austin. Um, they're probably not making any money. It's an incredibly difficult business. Um, and so we decided to focus on catering events. Um, I hired salespeople. Um, I really just decided to go for it in that department. And that's when we started really cash flowing. Mm-hmm. Um, cash flowing to the point where we could sign a lease, build our own kitchen, build a restaurant. And I remember thinking, you know, if I ever get a, get some room, some form of life, some oxygen to breathe, that I would never go back to where I came from in terms of being in that hole again. And so for me, it's like now it's about trying to maintain and always, you know, kind of having my foot on the gas pedal. Mm-hmm. So it was catering the catalyst that got you out? Initially, or? yeah. Initially, yeah. it was um, using the food truck. Um, for what it was, which was a kitchen on wheels, and two, as, a, as something that people actually wanted at their events, like weddings and rehearsal dinners mm-hmm. and stuff. People wanted food trucks. Food trucks were in at that time. They still are. Yeah. Um, so it's like, you know, if I could 
get somebody to pay me three or four thousand dollars to cater their wedding, or I can serve a bunch of drunks till three thirty in the morning <laughs> for like seven hundred bucks. Like, Sounds like I don't a good know. Trade-off. I don't know what's the better option there, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, and sometimes you have to look at your business and just because everyone else is doing it a certain way doesn't make it the right way. It yeah. doesn't make it the smartest way. Yeah. Um, and I learned that. Yeah. You know, I was like, I'm gonna do it on my own terms, not not the model that everyone else is doing because I think that model doesn't work. I think it sucks. Yeah. 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 So what does Peach look like today? What's the the makeup Peach, of Peach today? Uh, I mean, we're over a ten million dollar company, um, which is great because I was doing like two thousand dollars a week when I started. Uh, I mean, I had days where I did like $200 mm-hmm. and I work like a double. Um, we have like three units, you know, one in the airport. Um, just opened up a new concept called Bar Peach on West 6th Street, which is a bar-focused restaurant. I took over the old Winflow property. That's an ambitious project that we're still trying to figure out. We're two months in. Um, we've got uh, our original location on Burnett Road. Um, we've got the two food trucks. We have a 7,000-square-foot facility on Lamar, which is my event space, social house, my catering commissary, 3,000 square foot warehouse, offices for my sales team. We have four salespeople. Um, got over 100 employees now. Um, we offer benefits uh, to full-time employees. It's a different game now. Um, it, it, it should be a different game. If I'm mm-hmm. Nine years later, if I'm sitting here telling you I'm still in the food truck, we got a problem. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I have a book coming out. Peach Tortilla Cookbook comes out in May. Uh, Sterling Publishing is doing that. So, you know, life's changed a lot. Um, but, I mean, I was in the restaurant at Bar Peach till 11 o'clock running service last night doing expo. You know, it's, it's you know, my life's changed a lot. You know, I'm, I have kids now. Um, How many kids? I have one, and one? then I have another yeah. one due in April. So okay. uh, my time... My time is my business and my family, and really, there's not much more than yeah. that. Um, there's just there is no more time, um, and those are just the sacrifices that have to be made to run your own business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if everybody noticed, but Eric brought everything in by himself and set everything <laughs> up right. So there's a lot of organiz- a lot of companies that clear ten million dollars in revenue and the founder isn't doing that level of work so you know I, I think that's uh, you know a, a tribute to you and your mentality can well, you talk I, about I that hustle that. just like well, what I, that looks I, like I think that uh, I think good leaders are just want to do kind of what you know you can't just sit in your office all day and look at your staff and you know go on vacation all the time I I really I really hate that yeah i i I actually don't even like vacation all that much um sometimes i i get bored where are you going i get really bored my wife likes vacation (laughs) uh and so she wants to go on more vacation uh so i will do i will do vacations to appease my wife um good call i like like three day weekends because that's just enough and then i can get back to work um i do love what i do so it's not a problem for me you know i mean you got to be passionate about what you do uh, but the hustle, I mean, it doesn't stop. I mean, mm-hmm. food and beverage, hospitality, really, whatever you do, it's always competitive. There's always going to be somebody in your rearview mirror watching you, rep- trying to replicate it, trying to do better. And if you're not pushing forward, then they'll push past you. 
And that's when brands die. And it's very difficult to keep the pace up. You know, you have to want to keep the pace up. Mm -hmm. Can I keep it up forever? Probably not. You know, I probably can't live this. I probably can't work this much forever. Um, and yeah, so that, I mean, that's part of the hustle. And the other part of the hustle is like, I don't think you're a good leader if you aren't willing to kind of lead by example, you know, with your staff. Yep. Like if you're not willing to bust tables and wash dishes in the restaurant business, then you're a shitty boss. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's just how it is. Yeah. Uh, you called Peach the hospitality business. Yeah. So at what point did it shift from food truck and uh, were there different stops along the way where it shifted to yeah, hospitality? I mean, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, food trucks are, I guess, I mean, they're technically hospitality, but they're such a small it's just such a small business, you know, and it's such mm -hmm. a raw business at its core because you're cooking the food in the same place you're handing food to the customer, you know, so it's, it's an open kitchen and it's, you're eating on pavement, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, it's very hard to deliver customer service to the full extent and hospitality that we do through catering and through our restaurants. And, you know, as we've grown, we've had to learn a lot and that's been the, a really big challenge for our company. Um, you know, I was terrified of opening a restaurant. I didn't know anything about trying to run a restaurant. I knew a lot about food trucks at the time. I didn't know about running restaurants. So trying to trying to open up with a full beverage cocktail program, a full service restaurant, an entirely new menu. Um, a lot of food trucks will just kind of take their menu at the food truck and just regurgitate it in a fast, casual restaurant. So you don't have to worry about service. It's basically like running a food truck, except you have AC, you know, it's nicer. Mm -hmm. For us, mm -hmm. we wanted to really take the leap. So trying to trying to be hospitality driven is important and culture is a big factor in that within our company in terms of just management caring about coming to work, you know? And yeah. I think a lot of our managers do really care. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's shift gears. Let's, yeah. uh, well, actually one more question before we shift gears. Um, nine years, you've been nine years in the restaurant? About eight and a half. Okay. Yeah, I was uh, 27 on 30. Uh, 36 now. So it sounds like zero to two was a kind of a key milestone. Are, are there other milestones along the way when you look back from starting the food truck uh, to yeah, like, like what are the key zero milestones? to two was huge. Like just trying to, I mean, trying to like make money and take a salary was like a huge milestone. I remember mm -hmm. when I first took my first salary it was thirty thirty thousand a year, and I was like, this is great. <laughs> you know, I was making a hundred thousand dollars a year when I was twenty four. Mm -hmm. You know, and then I went to making nothing. Yeah. And then I was for thrilled two years. for two years. And then I was thrilled when I paid myself 30K a year because it was something, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, I remember, I really remember like going into Starbucks and being like, I envy <laughs> the, fact, the fact that you make $10 an hour right now because I'm making nothing and this sucks. Uh, but you can't have that mentality, you know, it has to be fleeting. <laughs> uh, two to four was a big one when we opened the restaurant. Four years in, that was a huge one. Trying to uh, figure out how to open a restaurant. Um, mm -hmm. Getting funding, you know, because we needed about three quarters of a million to open up. Um, and then uh, about a year and a half, well, two years after we opened the restaurant, we opened Social House. That was another big milestone because we needed another almost a million in funding to open that up. And then, uh, you know, there's been milestones here and there. Uh, every two years, it seems like, every one or two years, it seems like we're opening something. So mm -hmm. those are big milestones. The mm -hmm. airport was a big milestone in terms mm -hmm. of trying to license the brand because we don't own that unit. But at the same time, 
um, creating a culture within that workforce of empl of employees who I don't pay. Yeah, you know that was a yeah. big one. Yeah, uh, is there a over those milestones? Is there a, a consistent philosophy or like a mantra, or is there something that that you lean on? To push through those, I mean, for me, those checkpoints. For me, it's like uh, it's like this. Like you, my dad's always said this to me. Like you miss, you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take. Mm -hmm. So whenever I'm iffy on something, I'm just like, you can't think about this too much. You just got to go for it. You know, our last deal with uh, Bar Peach, I knew it was going to be a, a, a expensive project. You know, for me, it's like this. It's like shit. I can pull a lot of money out of the business right now, and my wife can be happy and. We don't have to worry go about a, lot of a whole lot of stuff. We can go on a ton of <laughs> vacations and I'll, but, uh, you know, you have this trade off, like, do you want short term game or do you want long term game? For me, I had to open another unit to give my managers more opportunity. You know, my general manager has been managing my restaurant for four years. Like he's not going to want to do that forever. I got to give him a bigger role. I got to make him an operations manager. He's got to manage two, two units. Mm -hmm. Um, I got to promote my assistant manager to GM, but if I don't open another spot, like what, she's going to be an AGM forever. Like that's not going to work, you know? Yeah. So in, in a lot of ways you have to, you have to be selfish and selfless, like selfish in the fact, like I want to make money at this new place and I want to be smart about the business decision I'm going to make, but I'm going to be selfless in the sense that it's not all about me. Like I may need to do this because I want to keep my staff happy. Yeah. So there's, you kind of balance those two. Yeah. What's the uh, what's the the vision for Peached like in? I hate questions like yeah. this, but I'm going to ask it. I don't know. Five years. I really you don't know. On. I really what, don't what know. I think like? we'll continue to. I think we'll continue to grow at a pace that's comfortable and that just makes sense. You know, it sounds crazy, but like I'll wake up one day and just be like, I think it's time to open another restaurant, and then we'll open another restaurant. Um, <laughs> but uh, for for the next six months, uh, I don't think I could do another restaurant. Yeah. Um, I think not with another newborn and a book co tour coming out and yeah. it's still a fresh, a fresh restaurant that we're still trying to fine tune. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I do think we'll open another restaurant. I, I think we'll probably open more than one restaurant. Um, my plan is to reevaluate when I'm 40, um, which is still a few years off and assess like, you know, where I'm at and if I can still you know, still handle the, the stress and the, the pressure like I did when I was in my 20s. Yeah. Um, book. Let's talk about the book real quick. What uh, What's the book about? Yeah. When does it come out? Book comes out May 7th. Uh, it's uh, being published by Sterling Publishing, which is a subsidiary of Barnes & Nobles. Um, book is a cookbook at its core, but it's also a memoir. Um, it's really meant to appeal to home cooks who just want to learn about Asian, modern Asian f comfort food. Uh, it's meant to appeal to, to hardcore peach tortilla fans who want to recreate what we do in our food trucks, restaurants. Um, and ultimately, it's meant to appeal to um, anyone who is looking to make a change, whether it's starting a small business um, in food or otherwise. Um, there's a lot of my story in there about uh, just my transition um, from my prior career and you know some of the lumps that i took in terms of just trying to run a business really perfect segue yeah. so let's let's talk about now let's do the gear shift yeah. let's talk about eric 
Eric pre-peached. What yeah. uh, what did what did that guy look like? Well, pre-peached, uh, I went I went I got my undergrad degree at WashU in St. Louis. So I was a finance marketing double major. Um, I wanted to be a sports agent at the time, so I worked for a bunch of different sports agents and sports agencies. Um, <laughs> worked for a uh, Mike Tyson's former boxing promoter in Vegas. I worked for a sports manager group in Chicago. Long story short, I went to law school. I st- ended up staying in St. Louis. I went to law school, got a law degree, um, and then I went to practice law for three years as a litigator. So I was in St. Louis for 10 years. Um, really wanted to get out. Um, and for me, I just never felt like I like the law clicked for me. I felt like it was really forced. Like being in law school, I remember in year one just being like, man, this sucks. Like, well, I don't know why I'm here. You know, I'm like 40K deep already. Like, there's no turning back. I remember one girl, like, dropped out of my 1L class, and I was so jealous of her. I was like, shit, like, she she dropped out. Like, maybe I can go with her. Uh, and my parents would have been so mad at me. Uh, I, You know, I have a tra- very traditional Chinese mom. I, you know, she's a tiger mom. She's on my ass. And... You know, she she would make me play the violin as a kid until I cried. <laughs> wow. Like I was like, Mom, I don't want to play. You're gonna play. You want to watch TV tonight? You're gonna play for an hour. So that was that. She like she drove me a lot, like pushed mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, but in law school, I was there were just too many people that were way smarter than me at at the law. You know, I mean, I was sitting next to like people that went to Duke and Harvard and Berkeley undergrad. And I remember and they weren't even like paying attention. And then they walk into the exam and get better scores than me. I was like, this is not how I'm going to be like super successful because I'm not as smart as these people when it comes to the practice of law. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I went and started practicing law, it was such a challenge for me. Like it just doesn't it didn't click. I didn't understand a lot. I remember screwing a lot of stuff up, mm-hmm. you know, I remember uh like the judge issuing an order in one case that was clearly in the uh, plaintiff's favor and coming back and just getting reamed by, you know, a partner. And I just didn't enjoy it, man. I just didn't enjoy coming to work. You know, it was a Sundays were the worst day of the week, Sunday nights, because then I'd have to start it all over again, going to work on Monday. And then I would just be bored as all hell trying to get through the whole week. And I was like, there's got to be more for to life in this. Um, I don't want to do this. I want to own my own business. I want to be an entrepreneur. I was daydreaming about that. And finally I said, enough's enough. Like 27, you know, that there, you, you know, I, I always say like tw- 27 to 35, like that is prime time. Like no wife, m- no kid, like maybe no wife, maybe no kids, no mortgage. Like that's time to go for it. You know, like me now when I'm 36, almost 37, like I can't, I couldn't do this now. Like I couldn't start this up now, Mm. you know, but 27, like I realized at that time, like the time was now for me, you know, not to say I couldn't do it. Like, all right, who knows? I'll probably end up starting something again. I don't know, but I'm crazy like that. I put, I put my bet on yes right there. Yeah. So, uh, but it's just easier. It's easier when you're younger. Yeah. Um, Yes, as the father of three young children and becoming yeah. an entrepreneur, I can say that's that's it would have been a lot easier when I was twenty seven. Um, so, the like, was it a slow build to you launching Peach or just leaving? Were you leaving law or were you pursuing Peached? 
Or what? I was can so you talk I about would that? I would go to work every day, and then I would I would write a business plan. So I'd work like you know my nine to six thirty or whatever. And I'd come home, eat dinner with my girlfriend, and then I would start working on the business plan because I was trying to do a capital raise for a restaurant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wrote this oh, yeah. like forty page uh, business plan. And I remember being so excited about it. I shipped it off to this company and they put it in this freaking nice binder and everything. And I was like, I'm going to send it off to all my friends and all my friends who are lawyers who make a lot of money and they're going to invest in me. I remember being so excited about it. I had like 100 printed. And then everybody gave me a slow no. You know, they'd be like, oh, yeah, like, let's go get a coffee. Let's talk about it. Oh, yeah, let me think about it some more. Let's grab coffee again. I'd be like. You just just say no. Like I'd rather you just say no. Yeah. So um, did you have any yeses? I had one. Out of how many? I mean, a hundred probably. Wow. Oh, my my parents too. Yeah. My dad would always back me. Yeah. Um, but most people were like, <laughs> no, dude. Yeah. Like, you know, we love you. Like we think you're gonna be successful, but no. Yeah. So, at that point, I was like, okay, we're either. Well, at that point, I, I remember thinking, well, I don't know what to do. And then I talked to my sister, and my sister was like, you should take a look at um, some stuff going on in L.A. Because she was living in L.A., and she was talking about the food truck scene. And I hadn't really considered the food truck scene. I was just like, started looking into it. I started getting really inspired, particularly by a guy named Roy Choi, who started Kogi, um, which is like the OG food truck mm-hmm. in the He was States. out here, right? Wasn't he he was, yeah, I saw him at yeah. South By. Yeah. And... Um, so I did the math and we could we could get the ball business rolling for like 70k. I could lease a food truck in Austin and if I wanted to go for it, that was the only way it was going to happen. You know. Mm-hmm. I funded half of it with my own savings and then I got some investors to pony up a little bit of money and really I didn't need that money. It was more like, "Hey, invest in me now so like I'll show you good returns and then you can keep investing in me." Mm-hmm. So when I needed more money, when it came to opening the restaurant, they, they put in more money at that point. Yeah. So like four years later, you know, they were like, okay, we can give you the money now because you're not like a fluke. Oh, the, you went back to the, the 100, the original 100? Well, no, I, I mean, of, or the, you mean like, the initial? of those 100, I had like 12 yeah. that came on as food truck investors. Yeah. And then they put more money in uh, once we opened the restaurant. Yeah. And so they felt, but I mean, crap, man. I mean, yeah. Like, I went back to everyone. My investors make 100% return on their initial investment annually, mm-hmm. right? So, like, let's say they gave me, like, 25000 bucks. Like, they're all making, like, 25000 bucks a year. So, it's a great return, right? So, mm-hmm. I still went back to some of those guys, and some of them did not invest in my newest concept. Wow. And it's a separate entity, and they said, we're, we're out. Hmm. So, that's... And here I am putting, like, a ton of money into this thing, you know? Because I have faith. Mm-hmm. So, naturally, people are risk averse. Like that's yeah. just the nature of the beast. I'm not risk averse. Like I bring it, bring it on. Yeah. You know. But I also realize that I'm in the minority. And if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you you better realize early on you're in the minority. Yeah. And you know you're not built like everyone else. Like and just accept it. So can you talk about when you were getting ready? When you had when you had given your two weeks notice to the law firm, or yeah. just whenever you had signaled to the law firm, I'm out, and then people start to ask you, "What are you going to do?" And your response is, <laughs> "I'm going to open up a food truck." Yeah. Can you talk about that? I remember one partner. Just... I remember one partner being like, "So I mean, nobody understood it in St. Louis. Like you got to think about St. Louis, 2009. Mm. Uh, there are no food trucks. 
uh, food trucks weren't even a national thing. And so some people would be like, uh, I remember one partner was like, so are you going to open like a popcorn cart at like a carnival or something? <laughs> like just being totally, totally confused at what I was. Little hats. My, my wife's grandmother was like, I have no idea what your boyfriend's doing. Like this is just so over my head. Um, so I think they were all, they were all like super gracious about it. They threw me a party. They were like, we wish you the best of luck. I think, I think a lot of them were inspired by the fact that somebody was leaving the law because a lot of them didn't enjoy practicing law. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think a lot of them understood it or understood what I was exactly trying to accomplish or understood my long-term vision. I mean, I always had a vision for it. Um, it, it. And, you know, some things have changed from my initial vision, but my vision was to always grow a company. It wasn't to just be in a food truck forever. Right, right. right. What, was your, what was your mindset? Like, what was your mentality as, you know, uh, girlfriend's grandma says i don't understand it or someone says are you yeah. opening up a popcorn stand um, like what how do you i mean i didn't really care to be honest with you yeah um i've always kind of had like a like an fu mentality like mm. in terms of not like my 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 grandmother-in-law but just like <laughs> uh, i mean she's she's supportive of what i do but just kind of like i I, I find myself wanting, I, I don't understand sometimes when people, why people are so risk averse or like why they don't try and do something. Um, so my, I typically just fall back on, well, I mean, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to do what I want to do. And um, I'm not going to wait for someone else to tell me yes or tell me it's a good idea. I mean, you'd be, I could be waiting around all my life, right? you know, waiting for the support I need, right. you know? And sometimes you just got to be like, I'm just going to do it for me. You yeah. know, I'm going to try and listen to myself and if, if I strike out I strike out and I have failed you know like I had another food truck I opened up simultaneously or two years in with peach tortilla and I ended up closing that um I mean I almost failed <laughs> came awfully close with peach tortilla so I mean I know what it feels like to fail and I've and I've I think once you have gone through that you're like I'm still here to talk about it so mm -hmm. you know I can recover yeah. So how, well, how do you? How, so how do? You, oh, sorry. One last question. So how do you? How do you push yeah. through that? How do you push through failure? Right? Because it's easy to have a conversation about. Yeah. Failure is so hard, and mm. you know, just uh, to fail uh, forward all that stuff. But yeah. like when your back's against the wall. Yeah. And the water's rising right at your yeah. nose. How do you? I mean, it's tough. I, I really don't have any good advice. You just got to keep pushing. But I mean, for me. Like, I was borderline depressed at the thought of failure. The, the biggest thing for me was, like, I don't really care about my money as much as I do these people that invested in me. Um, because so many people said no, and I just felt like, man, if I fail, like, I'm just validating that their decision to not invest in me was the right decision. Mm -hmm. And that really pissed me off. Yeah. And that really upset me. Um, and also upset me if I were to, like, lose my friend's money. Because, you know, the friendships... You can say what you want about friendships, but they take a hit. Right. So, uh, in terms of just trying to get through it, <laughs> there really wasn't, you know, uh, I can't say there was any one thing. Um, I, I would just say that my, my theme that I've noticed is that when it gets really bad and when it gets really dark and depressing and you feel like you can't go any further, that's probably when it's about to turn in your favor. And that's been my experience. Like, it has to get really bad 
before it starts to get good and really good. Right. And very few people just get it really good. Right. You know, like that's rare. Most mm-hmm. people suffer and they suffer a lot. Right. And it's hard to understand how much they've suffered because, you know, they're going through it alone. So, you know, mm-hmm. you wouldn't really necessarily always hear about it. Or even if they write about it, it doesn't have as much impact. So for me, it's like, you know, I knew that it was going to be hard. I just didn't realize it was going to be that hard. Okay. So why don't we open up for questions now? Sure. So the question was, how do you, where do you attribute your ability to push through fear? Is it from mm-hmm. mom? Is it from life? Well, is it, I would is say it? actually my, my dad was an entrepreneur and my dad was in the restaurant business. Um, and so he opened up five restaurants and, and closed all of them um, in Asia. And he lost a lot of money. And uh, it, was a, it was a cause of strife at the dinner table with my mother. My mom would just kind of jab at him, remind me, like, remember how much money we lost? And now our son's going to go do this. Um, uh, but my dad has always been kind of fearless in the sense he's, he was the one who supported me and was like, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Like, if you need to go be an entrepreneur, like, go be an entrepreneur. My mom wasn't so much a risk-averse person. She's actually probably not. She would probably rather have me have stayed as a lawyer. But now that I'm doing this, she's happy. But in terms of, like, my work ethic and my willingness to push a lot harder, that definitely was attributed to her. I mean, I lived a very, like, growing up in Japan, even though I wasn't Japanese, um, Japanese are very structured. They have an insane work ethic. They work very long hours. The culture is just very different. And so I adopted a lot of that culture. You know, I was culturally, like, Japanese more than I was American, as crazy as that sounds. Because when you live in a country for that long and your neighbors are Japanese and your friends are Japanese and you speak Japanese, like, it starts to become ingrained in you. Yeah, it's nature Um, nurture, right? Yeah. Yeah. But my mom would always, you know, she was, like, always pressing on me to study and make good grades and I wanted to live up to that. So I think that helped a lot, too, in terms of just having the work ethic to push. Other questions? Yep. So, yeah, so question one is uh, when you assimilated yeah. into American culture, what, what did you identify from Japanese culture? and Or what did I take from Japan? Or what did is you that, take from Japan? I mean, the biggest yeah. thing that I took from Japanese culture was a sense of um, discipline and res- respect, like just for other people. Um, I think Japanese really conduct themselves in a certain manner. Um, and they're just extremely disciplined. Anything that I've always thought that anything that Japanese do, they're going to do it well. Like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to, um, do pastry. We're going to do French pastry. Well, you go to Japan, you're like, am I, this is better than, you know, being in France or like, you know, French pastry. So, um, I think I took the, like the discipline factor, um, and I've always kept it with me, you know, um, because Japanese work really hard. So what's what's the ideal balance between work and home? I think there's sacrifices to be made on both ends. And I think you have to have an understanding wife who gets that. Um, if you want to go all family, like, you're not going to have a good business. If you want to go all business, you're not going to have a good marriage. So... You have to kind of push and pull between the two. It's not easy. It's never easy. 
Um, uh, I'd love to be home seven nights a week, but it's just not, it's not going to happen. Not in the restaurant business. I mean, like I said, last night I came home at 11. Um, you gotta, but at sometimes I feel like I should be at my restaurant when I'm home on a Friday night. And I'm like, man, you shouldn't feel guilty that you're home on a Friday night. Like, like you've worked nine years, like you should, you can get, you can take a weekend off. So it's this constant struggle. Um, I don't think there's a perfect balance, but I definitely think that you have to sacrifice at both on both ends. Did you always have a vision that you would be doing what you're doing right now yeah. when you were in your early 20s? Um, no, I did not have the vision that I would be running a hospitality company. I wanted to be a, actually I really wanted to be a sports agent. I don't know if you guys remember Jerry, the movie Jerry Maguire. I went to go see Jerry Maguire when I think I was like 13 and I, I'm a huge sports nut I really wanted to be in sports um, my, my passions were like sports business and food and sports being a sports agent was like 1A um, so that's why I went to law school um, I didn't need a law degree to be a sports agent and I was trying to go to law school to kind of hedge my bets in the sense like I would still have a law degree if it didn't work out and it would just give me a one-up in terms of like contract review and that kind of stuff. Um, so I don't feel like it's a wa- it was a waste of time. But I didn't know at that time that I wanted to own my own business and that it was in food. I just it just kind of came to me naturally. I think everyone in this room probably has two or three things that they're really passionate about, you know. And you kind of know that in your heart. And I think it's worth exploring those two or three things and trying to figure out how you make a career of that. Curious if hero has driven your life at all. Any, being a hero. So being a hero, has that been a component in your life? And are you asking about any particular superhero? In, in, or just... In the food industry. Yeah, like, so... Um, does... <laughs> <laughs> so I, tell me if I've got this right. You're a, you've got an inspirational story, mm-hmm. and I, I'm sure there's somebody who's starting a restaurant today that looks at what you've done and those yep. look at look senior path, and they look at you as a hero in the food mm-hmm. industry. Um, is that am I close? Okay. So how how do you probably a good question would be how do you take on that responsibility mm-hmm. as a leader within the food industry mm-hmm. from someone who's kind of faced some pretty tough challenges and have broken yeah. through onto the other side? I mean I I do devote a lot of time to trying to help people. Um, I usually budget like an hour a week to meet with somebody who's trying to start a food business or who's struggling and you know give them advice because I wish I you know I actually did have somebody who helped me quite a bit when I started up. Um, and they did it for free and, you know, was one of my dad's friends in the industry. So I try and, you know, help, you know, by giving advice. I mean, advice, it only takes you so far. Like, like I said, from the beginning, like it's it's cliche, but you really got to work for it. Um, but, uh, but part of the reason why I wrote this book, uh, was to inspire people to, do what, like, to take risks, to do what they love, and to pursue their dreams. And I think that the more stories out there, out there that, that are like that, um, people will be more willing to take risk. 
um, because let's be honest, like the majority of people don't, right? Mm-hmm. The majority of people just go to work. Yeah. Yeah. Any other questions? That's yeah, so question. the question was, was there a moment that yeah. uh, that triggered perseverance during the tough yeah. times or throughout? Sure. Uh, honestly, there wasn't, um, there wasn't like any one person that was like really triggering me. Like um, the fear, I think honestly it was like the fear of being perceived as a failure, um, regardless of whether that was a fair perception or not. But I mean, I don't think anyone in this room wants to be perceived as a failure. And that's how I felt I was going to look, you know. Uh, you know, this kid leaves his job, making a good salary. He he goes into an industry he knows not a lot about. And he leaves it <laughs> with a lot less money. I mean, you that looks like failure to me. Like, that doesn't feel good. And I sure as hell didn't want that. I didn't want that badge of failure to define me at the age of 29 or 30. So that was enough to motivate me to kind of push every day. And I don't think that the fear, I don't think that we should be afraid of failure. Like, I don't think that we should be afraid of how we're perceived, but we are. We're all human beings. Like, we're all, like, afraid of how we're perceived on a daily basis. So, I mean, we're going to be really afraid of failing. But, um, but we shouldn't be, ultimately. Um, and so I think that, and, and then in addition to that, um, just the money factor of, uh, like I said, I, I really didn't care as much about my money as I did my friend's money, but losing my friend's investments, um, I was really dreading that, <laughs> those phone calls. Um, and ultimately, I had to have those phone calls because I was like geared towards trying to get out for, for a little while. Um, and that sucked, you know, that really sucked. Yeah, so this question's a more tactical question about just how do you, if you, when, when you pursued um, the food truck, how did you mm. have uh, the financial mm. means to pursue, or live without yeah. paycheck for two years? Well, I, I do want to say it's, it's always attainable. The dream is always attainable. Um, you, well, first of all, I lived really lean. I wasn't spending money because I was working like a ton, you know, so like I wasn't going shopping for, I joke with my wife, I'm like, I didn't shop for clothes for like three years, you know, because like I didn't care. Mm-hmm. I, like, I just didn't care. I didn't care about clothes. I didn't care about music. I didn't care about anything. All I cared about was trying to get my business to be profitable. Um, so I wasn't spending money. I, I lived really lean. I drove a 1998 Forerunner, which was the same car I had in college. We lived in a one-bedroom apartment. Um, and I had savings, um, but I wasn't spending money like the normal person. Um, like I wasn't going to movies and I just wasn't, I wasn't going out and buying drinks. I just wasn't doing that cause I didn't have time for it. So you'd be amazed at how lean you can live. Um, and it's, it's worth it to, to do what you want. <laughs> so the question was, were you exposed or influenced yeah. by Shinto? Uh, I was not. I'm not particularly religious. Um, my dad is uh, was born Jewish, um, but I wasn't raised religious at all. Uh, so uh, the answer would be no. I'm just not, not religious. Good question. Where did the name Peach Tortilla come from? I grew up in Atlanta, which is the Peach State, and I was trying to pay homage to kind of where I grew up. So that's where I came from. 
that's a fair question. Yeah, yeah. So what possessed you to to pursue a high return on your investors? Well, I mean, the, the high the high return is a product of how much money the business, the business makes. You know, it wasn't like uh, I I never expected that kind of return for them. Um, so I was generous with my investors in terms of. Uh, like, for instance, we took on some operating partners when we opened the restaurant, and um, those, those uh, th that operating partner took on my shares. So instead of adding additional shares and diluting everyone, um, they just took over my shares. That was extremely generous because I had to go buy that partner back for a lot of money. Um, I've always felt like if you take, take care of the people around you, like, eventually they'll take care of you. And maybe I'm wrong. Like, maybe, you know, may I have been proven wrong. <laughs> because some of them didn't jump back in you know so um but ultimately like i think uh it wasn't initially designed that way we just it just kind of the model kind of worked and i had happy investors and when i opened bar peached i had to do a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar cap raise and i did it in five days and i did it in five days with the majority of the same investors so I think it has, you know, helped me. Do it all again. Would you do anything differently? Um, well, I don't think I could do it all over again, <laughs> knowing what I know now. Uh, but uh, I would have, um, there's two things I would have done differently. Um, I was not a good leader. Um, I never thought that leadership was part of, my role as a business owner or founder, I ne never even dawned on me that I was going to have to manage employees. I had no experience managing employees, um, how to talk to people. That's been a steep learning process for me. So, um, you know, that's something I would have changed. And I wouldn't have gone so hard so fast early on, meaning I wouldn't have killed myself um, with the amount of hours I was working early on. I probably would have made it more manageable. I was just so... Uh, excited and hungry to get to where I wanted to be um, that I burned myself out and I think it's you should work hard and you should put a lot of hours in um, but it is ultimately it's a marathon I mean this is a nine we're in a nine-year marathon right now you know like it's an en it's an endless marathon I, I always say that like when you run a when you run a business when you whenever you run a business it's like you're getting on a treadmill and you never, ever get off. Ever. <laughs> that is a business. And the speed accelerates. And the hospitality <laughs> business, it's not a jog. And you never get off the treadmill. And your phone calls come in seven days a week. Your problems come in seven days a week. And you're never going to be able to turn it off. So, you know, maybe start off a little bit light, like a brisk walk when you open. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in hindsight, 44 page business plan. Uh, what what advice would you give to somebody who's about ready to start page one? Don't write a 44 page business plan. <laughs> uh, that's a huge mistake. It's a rookie mistake. Uh, I look back at that and I'm like, what? Like, what the hell were you doing, man? Like, nobody's going to read that. Um, but I was young. Uh, short and sweet. Five to seven pages. The biggest thing investors want to see is how they're going to make their money back. How quickly do I get my money back? And after that, what's my ROI? That's all investors care about. 
investors don't have enough time to really think about like yeah they look at your concept and they're like oh i think that's a good idea i think that could work yes but they don't have the time to do the research and vet your concept they're ultimately like they're going to invest because they like you and they're betting on the person behind it so um those are the biggest things like what's the ROI? How, roi how quickly do i get my money back um, do the numbers make sense? Like, is there anything in this business plan that I can poke my hole, like poke holes in, in terms of like how you're showing I can get my return? Uh, any closing thoughts? Anything you want to wrap with? I mean, you know, everyone's in this session to kind of find purpose and, you know, pursue what, what, you know, what you're passionate about. And I would just say that, uh, for me, it's never led me down a wrong road, you know, like it's, it's easy to look at other people for, uh, for approval, I should say, or, you know, you base your decision making on what other people think, which is not the way to do this in life. I don't think, I think it's really should be driven by what makes you happy, um, what you're passionate about, because if you do what you're passionate about, like you're probably going to be pretty successful at it. And, you know, it's worked for me. So I hope it works for you. All right. Please. Thanks, man. Yeah, great. Great. Thank Appreciate you. it. Appreciate it. Um,